0: Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez-Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too.
1: All right, welcome everyone. I'm happy that I have someone returning today. Um, I have another guest speaker who's gonna be talking to us about how to be an ally among populations you don't identify with. And our guest is Emeline Beltran, who is returning once again. So I'm gonna go ahead and um, read her bio and then we'll just go straight into this great conversation. Emmeline Beltran, who uses pronouns she, her, hers, is a second year graduate student at Cal State LA. She is studying communication studies with an emphasis in intercultural communication. Emmeline, like I mentioned, was previously on the podcast uh, for episode 70, where she talked about her experience being a grad student with a disability. And today, Emmeline has returned to share about her role as the programming assistant at Cal State LA's Dreamers Resource Center. She is a U.S. born daughter of Filipino immigrants and her Filipino American identity inspired her to work with diverse communities and specialize her master's degree in intercultural communications. As a U.S. citizen who works with undocumented college students, Emmeline will reflect on her experience and lessons learned so far about being an ally. So welcome back, Emmeline.
2: Hi, thank you. I'm really excited to return. So I am curious. I, I you hinted at this before we clicked record, but I would
1: love for you to start about kind of what motivated you to want to come back and to want to uh, discuss this topic.
2: Yes. So I have continued listening to grad school fem touring, and a lot hey. of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, I I'm caught up. I am there every week, <laughs> um, and a lot it. of the episodes. Um, The guest speakers, and even if there's no guest speaker, a lot of the episodes really resonate with me. I would just hear these stories and I would be like, yes, I have heard, I've experienced this firsthand. I'm glad I'm not alone. But um, a recent episode with Dr. Vanegas about her experience getting her PhD and going to grad school as an immigrant, I was listening to the story and I thought to myself, like, I don't resonate with this because I'm not an immigrant, but how come I still have like a third level type of like connection? Like, why is this hitting me emotionally still? And then I realized that um in my job, I work with undocumented students at Cal State LA and they share such similar stories. So when Dr. Vanegas was telling her story, um, that's when I realized like I have this connection when people share their immigration stories even though I am not one and I just wanted to show kind of like the humility um, and privilege I have being in this position for this community to really open up about their experiences because I know that grad students um, they conduct research or they might work part-time jobs with communities they don't identify with so I just wanted to talk more about that
1: awesome so I would um That's really that's great to hear that in listening to other episodes, it's there are some things that we can resonate with, regardless of whether or not it's our own direct experience. And I would love to hear about um, the work that you do. So like uh, you, you mentioned you're a programming assistant for the Dreamers Resource Center at Cal State LA. So if you could tell us a little bit about about the center, about your role in it and and then after that, maybe a little bit of what kind of it's taught you thus this far.
2: Yes. So I work at Cal State LA's Dreamers Resource Center. The Dreamers Center would not have been possible without our donor, who is Erica Glazer. She put down an endowment um, to ensure that the Cal State um, LA had a Dreamers Center for the undocumented students because Dreamers Centers, they weren't really a thing until I want to say like mid-2010s when DACA was first um, like created. And this wouldn't have happened if um, students who were undocumented at the time in Cal State LA really advocated that they needed a space and a community for resources because their on-campus resources, they were not exactly catered to them. So for example, the Career Center, there's tons of jobs and internship opportunities, but a lot of the job postings do not clarify work status or work permits slash citizenship status requirements so it would be really common even until like today where students would see a job they're interested then they apply just for them to get rejected because of their status so it's just it's really important that this space um, exists especially with the very uncertain immigration issues that are going on here in the United States. So as the programming assistant, I do a lot of outreach, both within campus and off campus with other academic departments and other Dreamer centers and immigration organizations across California. And I I just like collect like resources and keep up with current events just to ensure that when a student does come to the dreamer center I have the right resources for them And with my team, we are constantly thinking that programming and events that we can host, whether it's a scholarship workshop or a community gathering with our counselors from the Counseling and Psychological Services, and ensuring that we're providing um, support for our students, whether it's academically, financially, or even emotionally, um, because we firmly believe that learning and just student life overall is not just inside the classroom. Like There are so many opportunities and services that should be available for all students and we know that due to national policy undocumented students may feel limited um so we just want to be there for them so that's that's my role and i i really enjoyed it a lot it's been extremely rewarding
1: um one thing i forgot to ask you was when did you start working for this position is this a
2: recent or um because Oh, I started working this position in January two thousand twenty-one. So just last oh, okay. semester, yeah. So at the time, it was all remote. So I was just working from home every oh, single day. Oh, that's true. Yeah, You're hired remotely, and you yeah. you probably
1: recently went back to, into the office or in person.
2: Yes, a hybrid perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So we are now fully open on campus, and just the shift from working remotely, I've noticed that when working remotely, students only reach out if they need something. But when you're open in person, students can just drop by the Dreamer Center and say like, hey, I'm just here to chill. I'm here to do homework. Um, Or like, you just have to cater to them right away instead of like thinking like, oh, the student emailed me. Let me um, like, let me dedicate some time to like draft an email back. So really seeing the difference between working remotely and working in person um, with these students, like it's like day and night. It was definitely so different, but um, yeah, that's when I started just like earlier this year.
1: Wow, okay. That's useful to know in terms of the context when you started and also that transition. It's a big transition to go from, Completely online, all you see is what's on the screen. Like you said, you know, having to take your time to craft an email versus in person, you know, helping them on the spot, and also just that there's a big difference in serving someone and feeling like you're in community when, with them when they're in person. Like you said, even just dropping by to say hi or dropping by to study, um, you're really f- like you can feel like you're you're making a big difference and you're providing support even without necessarily doing a big thing, but like having the space, like providing a space for folks. So that's that's really, um, that's great. I'm glad that y'all have been able to make that transition because I know a lot of different centers and departments and just folks working at universities are still in the middle trying to figure that out. Um, I wanted to go back to, The conversation about working with a population that is so I would say precarious and and then you use the language of um, being an ally. And so I wanted you to kind of talk a little bit more about why you chose to use the language of being an ally and also um, what you've learned in the last from January to October 9 10 months that you've been doing this.
2: Yeah, so um, we we use the term ally a lot at my work, just because there are a lot of different types of immigrants, Um, although our Center caters to specifically undocumented immigrants, we are well aware that there are um, immigrants who have advanced parole or um, like they have a green card or they're a legal resident. Um, And we don't want to like just go in and classify each person based on their status. Um, So we say like, if you're undocumented, you are welcome here. But if you're an ally willing to learn more, like you are invited to this space too. Because when people do come into our center, we don't ask for their citizenship status. Um, So that's why um, we just tend to use either like you're an undocumented student or you're an ally, um, because the common goal is to uh, really unite for immigration advocacy at Cal State LA. Right, and oh, another question I had,
1: and I know I asked you to tell me a little bit about what you learned, but before you do that, so you said that sometimes you work or outreach, not just with folks and the population at Cal State LA, but also other programs across California. Are there any that you could name off the top of your head just so that we kind of we can be aware of what other centers are available? I, I know when I was an undergrad, there was one at UCLA, but um, I quickly realized that that wasn't necessarily true at all universities. And also, the there's a difference in the type of support and the staffing and funding available across the different centers too so that was something that I realized like early on I was like oh like just because there is a center doesn't mean it's equipped in the same way like you said you have an endowment that's incredible that's amazing Mm -hmm. I wish every institution had that so yeah sorry just going straight into it are there others that you could name off the top of your head
2: no worries at all so um, we t- we connect with a lot of resource centers or immigration nonprofits, but the one that I will elaborate on is called Gadasen LA, which stands for the Central American Resource Center. You do not have to be Central American to utilize their services, but Gadasen LA, we have a partnership with them and there are other Cal States in Southern California who also have partnerships with them, such as Cal State Dominguez Hills and my alma mater, Cal State Fullerton and a bunch of others. But but students who are undocumented, they are able to get free legal services um, through Carson LA nice. because attorneys are expensive. They but are. if yeah, but if you're a student at selected universities in Southern California, you're able to get these services for free, and they're also available to your immediate family, and they're also available to alumni who graduated within the last two years, so oh, wow. that's one of our partnerships. Yeah, that's so. awesome, and that's we, really good. Yeah, we connect with other like organizations too, such as CHIRLA, which is the Coalition for um, human immigration rights, I think, of Los Angeles. And then there's another really famous nonprofit called Immigrants Rising. They're based in, I believe, Sacramento, somewhere in Northern California. But they are like, they're really well known nationwide. So we have connections both at the local, the statewide and the national level.
1: Nice. I'm, I'm writing these down and I'll, I'll make sure actually I'll include these in the show notes for this episode. And you're right. They're based in up North, San Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco
2: up yeah. Rising. There.
1: yeah. Um, okay, good. So I just, I just want to make sure that we kind of put a name to some of the different resources available because that this is actually one of my limitations as a podcaster, like you don't know everything and you don't know it all. And one of my privileges is that, you know, I I was born here, so I am a US citizen. And so I have been kind of less aware of the resources available for undocumented students kind of nationwide. I have learned the resources available at the institutions I've been affiliated with. But even then, like I myself have found myself to be frustrated In many ways, like kind of like how you're saying, where some programs, including the program that I worked for, McNair Scholars Program, is only available for US citizens and permanent residents. And I would always, every time there would be an info session, tell people clearly and upfront, like eligibility requirements, that unfortunately this is a federally funded program, this is a federal requirement, and we cannot change it. But I would refer them to the other. Programs available on campus that they could apply for, including another one that we had in our office that was, um, you know, available to students regardless of immigration status. So, anyway, <laughs> I want to get back to you and you sharing what you've learned because I'm I'm here to listen and learn, and I want listeners to also listen and learn. And if there are folks who self-identify as you know undocumented and want to learn a little bit more about what may be available to them outside of just kind of their institution or, or whatever space they're in and that it's just good to know kind of what you've learned thus far
2: yeah of course so I'm actually really glad that you shared more about your position because I didn't even know that the McNair's program was only available to you as citizens um, yeah.
1: so some programs what that. they do is they'll try to get funding and have like a similar program or they'll mentor students on the side they won't be official McNair scholars but they'll mentor them on the side and I've done that too where I've taken on students and helped them provide them with guidance but they can't formally be um, admitted into the program and considered a McNair scholar and be eligible for things like the fee waivers that McNair scholars are eligible for so it is incredibly frustrating it is unfair and it's It just happens to be a requirement of a federal program. Yeah
2: yeah that's it's very common like i had mentioned earlier where students find an awesome program or a job and they're unable to even like apply or get a formal acceptance because of their status and like you had said i have the privilege that i am a u.s citizen so i have an abundance of resources and opportunities on campus compared to those who are undocumented so it the the cultural humility Um, really hit me when we opened in person because because I started this position remotely, I was able to take my time when students reached out and students only reached out if they needed something. Um, Like they would set up a Zoom call or send an email if they had a question. But when opening in person, there were students who would come in just to relax, or if they had a question, you had to know on the spot. Um, So that's when I realized that I still have a lot to learn in this position, which is totally okay. Um, Like, I know that when students would call our office, or they would walk in in person, they would ask me questions. And even though I know some of the basics of forms like the DREAM Act, or Um, like differences between like AB 540. Um, Sometimes students would have very complicated like cases that I just don't know how to handle. So I would always refer to my coordinator or my director on how to navigate this. And when this would happen a lot in the beginning of the semester, I would feel really guilty and I would really question myself, like, what am I doing, like, in this position if I can't help them? And I would feel really helpless and guilty that I can't help them. But after talking to both my coordinator and my director and even my fellow student leads, um, they've been really reassuring. So just having that um, really encouraging team has helped me a lot. And they've taught me how to give myself grace because, you um, I'm only like 10 months into this position and I have learned a lot over time and I need to give myself credit for that. And also I have to remember that I don't know this because I've never filled out a California Dream Act form myself, I have never applied to DACA so of course I kind of had like a lot to learn and I still do. So I just learned how to kind of like show that humility and know that it's not a reflection on me. Um, I'm, so I really want to like keep learning. Um, I don't want to say I want to keep making mistakes, but I just know that once I make a mistake, I use the wrong word. I confuse a few forms. I just know that I do it once, I get corrected and I can move on knowing that I'm not going to do that again um so it's really taught me a lot and i have to share that before i applied for this position i thought that the international student office and the dreamer center were like the same thing so i assumed that like international students were undocumented and vice versa but it turns out they're two completely different populations so um so just like learning more because i feel like i wasn't the only one um, and I, it turns out that I wasn't. So just learning more about this community each day really like teaches me a lot. And it's very like rewarding that my team and these students really are, um, they really built that trust with me to share their stories because they are much, much more than their citizens, citizenship status. They have like goals and ambitions just as big as any of their peers.
1: Um, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because, you know, it's, it's seeing an individual as a whole human, you know, as, as more than just their status and some individuals are in, um, mixed status households too. Or I remember, um, one of my close friends in undergrad, we were both English majors and she was undocumented. And I, and I remember, I think it was, I can't remember which sibling, but like, some of her younger siblings were born here and she wasn't. And she was the one trying to go to college. And, and she would say like, they don't realize how privileged they are. They don't realize like how, you know, how many things would have been easier for them than they are for me. Because when she was doing schooling, it, you know, the DREAM Act wasn't available. So she would take a quarter off to work full time and then come back for a quarter and pay and back and forth and back and forth. So it did take her a little longer to finish. But um, I'm thinking a- about that too, about how it is not just the responsibility of individuals who are undocumented to learn about these things. It's it's the responsibility of everybody, including those of us who are more privileged to learn. And also, like you said, giving yourself kind of grace and compassion as you're learning, because it's, it's your first time kind of navigating this. So long as you're Putting in the work, kind of like how you know those of us ha- have been striving to um, work towards learning more about anti-racism um, and how to be an anti-racist and how to support our like black brothers and sisters, uh, brown brothers and sisters. Like it's a continuous kind of learning process. So I'm I'm glad that you have had I would say even the privilege of serving these students and and having this position. And the fact that you're continuously learning. And that that was kind of the case for for me, too, when I was working for the institution. It's like constantly striving to learn and to refer people to kind of the right places um, if you're not the one that knows the most. You know, like you you said, sometimes I have to refer people to the coordinator or the director. And actually, I'm going to have on the podcast one... uh, Two, I have two upcoming guests. One of them, I'm gonna try to schedule this person. <laughs> I know that they got busy. Um, talking about what it's like being undocumented and a grad student and not being able to travel to a location where you need to do field work. I'm like, that's really interesting to like study a population that you cannot necessarily go and like in person meet with them. And then another person is a former director of an undocumented student center. So I'm curious about their experience and what what they'll share about that. So I feel like this is a continued conversation and you're just getting it started on the podcast, but it's gonna keep going. So hopefully you'll you'll tune in for that as well.
2: I'm gonna be looking out for those episodes.
1: (laughs) I am curious in terms of your learning journey, what are some of the things that you have learned in your position that you're like, oh I wish I would have learned or it's really useful to have this perspective or you know I' like realizing sometimes when we learn things like realizing some parts about our own privileges or or just things that kind of you've had the light shed on certain things that maybe you hadn't realized until now until like you started the job or you started meeting people in person so maybe some, takeaways learning lessons or or anything else that you think that that would be helpful for someone else to know who maybe is privileged in that sense where they are documented and have not had to worry about about that
2: yeah um so i would say to keep practicing um, because when i was working in person for the first time i remember i was so scared of answering the phone because my first couple of phone calls i didn't know the answer but how would I learn if I just kept avoiding the phone and just keep giving it to the rest of my team? Because um, like I I like used the wrong term the first couple of times, but then the phone rang and I got nervous. But once I finally picked up and I was able to answer the question correctly, like that felt good. Um, so just give yourself grace and keep learning. And um, like for me, I'm a visual learner. So when I was looking up like the information like DACA versus non DACA and what's AB 540 like it's like I was studying for a class because I did have a lot to learn so um just just keep practicing and also I would say remember your why um like why did you apply for this position in the first place because that will give you a gentle reminder of like well that, well, you really wanted this position and now you're here because my why was because I knew I wanted a career in social like, justice, like I want communication, research, or even like program evaluation roles in like social welfare settings, whether it's like a university or a um, nonprofit. Um, and I want to specialize in um, diverse communities um, because during my undergrad, I did do a lot of volunteering and I have a lot of work experience, but I noticed that I kept, identi- I kept volunteering with communities I identified with, which is not a a bad thing. But when I started grad school, I was like, I need to branch out and learn more about other people besides Filipino Americans, besides people with disabilities, because I knew that the advantage I had was, I knew the culture because I those were my identities too. So really showing that humility um, was was really it was a motivation for me to branch out so when i saw the dreamer center was hiring i was like you know like this is very new to me but if i'm going to call myself an intercultural communication scholar I need to get over that bridge and really branch out. So, I wanted to practice what I preached instead of just um, doing the research and like putting my name on like journals and conferences because, um, like, I yeah, I wanted to make sure I had that balance between community engagement and research. And I would say the last thing um, for those who are interested in like community engagement with populations. Um they don't identify with is to take care of yourself too, because there can be really like heavy news um, and emotions that comes with this work. Like there is a DACA decision just last summer um, where new applications were barred. And I felt so helpless. I was like, I I wish I can do more. And then I went to a point where I was like, am I doing enough in this position? Because I have the privilege where if I clock out, I'm done for the day. But undocumented students, this is their life. They don't get to clock out being undocumented. But um, just going back to what I said, keep practicing and keep remembering your why. And that'll give you the spark to just just keep going, because the fact that you're already opening yourself, like, I want to do this, I want to work with these, um, with this community. Um, So I know that was a lot. But that's a lot I've learned. And I'm still learning as I go. I feel like I I got a lot from that,
1: too. I was taking notes as you were speaking and thinking about um, everything that you said, and, and how it resonates with with me and with the work that I do, because you you said that the reason why you picked up this this job or you applied is because you wanted to step out of your comfort zone and learn more about working with diverse populations. And last time we spoke, you know, we talked about the importance of like learning to work with disabled students and accessibility. And I think there's that parallel of, um, of that social justice in general like I think Mm -hmm. that's one thing that you and I have in common is that we do prioritize social justice and you know I know when I started the podcast I named the podcast like just kind of like in passing like not even thinking about it but because I wasn't gonna do this seriously when I did it (laughs) like when I started the podcast it was kind of like oh let me just test it out and see I want to (laughs) kind of learn about this new app not thinking about it but I was like, if I were to do a podcast, I would want it to be, you know, expansive. I I don't want it to be just for Latinx folks or just for. Although, I I do prioritize first gen students of color, so I do prioritize them, and it's called femtoring, which means that I'm pri- privileging kind of my experience as as someone who identifies as a woman and a woman of color and a Chicana and a feminist. Yes, um, but. At the root of, of everything, hopefully it it's hopefully it's something that other people can sense is that I do prioritize at the core of everything is social justice before anything, before is 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 making sure that we are kind of shedding light on the experiences of different types of oppressed populations. And so you, just like you said, you don't get to clock out being undocumented. And what a privilege it is for us to do that, you know. To not necessarily mm-hmm. have to learn about it if we don't want to. What a privilege it is to be able to clock out, you know, not being black or brown if you are if you're white, or what a privilege it is to be able to clock out, kind of not being disabled and not having to worry about accessibility because everything everything is is um, catered to you. Even me being left handed, sometimes I would get so frustrated going into <laughs> classrooms college classrooms and seeing all these righty (laughs) desks
2: you know I didn't even know you were left handed (laughs) but yeah there's like there's so many little things like like the doorknob or like the mouse (laughs) yeah but there's there's
1: so many ways and so many um experiences that that are oppressed you know and that's why um I think some of us um we have this mission because we ourselves have been oppressed in some way, shape, or form. We ourselves have yeah. like intersectional identities in some way, shape, or form. And even though we don't inhabit all of the spaces of oppression, even though we have a lot to learn, it's yes. still important. I, I feel a little self-conscious even with this topic too, because I'm like, I I know I'm not an expert on this, but I think it's important. And I'm glad that you came in again to get this conversation started and hopefully- it will spark more conversations and hopefully we will all continue to learn. So I thank you for coming back on and and sharing these gems and what you've learned and you know why, why this work is important and why more folks should also kind of strive to get involved in the advocacy work in learning and serving these populations because you never know who might be next to you and might be struggling with this, yeah
2: yeah that's what I learned along the way too. like especially if you want a career in higher education, yeah. um, whether you're a professor or even working in student affairs, you don't know. Um, and just imagine if you say something like like something I noticed when I first started grad school, professors um, they would say go vote if you're able. But when I would go on like social media, people would be like, vote, like just go out there and vote. But then that was making you feel
1: bad. Like, why aren't you voting? It's like, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that's what this position has taught me like a lot of. And it's like if I do get another role in higher education that's more catered to the entire campus, like, for example, let's say I get a job at like, university library. It's like, I don't know who's undocumented. I don't know who's LGBTQ unless they have that, you know, that trust to open up with me. So instead of making those assumptions, really being careful with like how I communicate. Um, So this job was really a great, like, it's still a great like eye opener um, to me.
1: Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for talking about it. And I, I, there are so many stereotypes, you know, with any population is like, you know, any oppressed population is that like they look a certain way or they behave a certain way. And there's so much complexity and diversity, even among the different populations that it's it's good to never make assumptions or try your, our best, because I think sometimes we can't help but make connections, but try our best yeah. not to make assumptions, especially negative assumptions, and to give people the benefit of the doubt. So anytime I work with folks, I, I try not, I try to give them grace, because I don't know what's going on. So if they're late, I have no idea if they don't show up, I have no idea what's going on. Instead of thinking, oh, this person's being disrespectful, not mindful of my time, or whatever it is, it's like you have, we have no idea. And sometimes mm-hmm. folks are not in the space or the position or don't feel safe or secure to be able to disclose what's going on you know with them yeah yeah anything any last thoughts i think this we're getting ready to wrap to wrap up after this i'll be asking you how others just a reminder how others can reach you um but any other last minute thoughts before you tell us about your different social media handles <laughs>
2: um last last thoughts that's hard um i would say um shout out to my workplace cal state la dream yeah you have all taught me so much and i'm still learning a lot can i just say Um, i love cal state la
1: (laughs) i don't i haven't like been a student or a staff or a professor or anything like that but i've i've gone there i was invited to give a book talk for the chicana mother work anthology and OMG, wow. the students there—beautiful, beautiful black, brown students in the audience—so receptive, so engaging. It felt like I was given a big, tight hug. And ever since I stepped foot on that campus, I was like, "This is why there's some amazing people." I know some professors at Cal State LA, particularly in Chicano <gasps> studies, and. They're incredible human beings. So I'm just like, you're in a great space. I just want to kind of give a a special shout out to Cal State LA and send my love to Cal State LA. Because y'all, you know, you have good folks there including you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I'm just so like humbled and it's just been such a rewarding, um, job position and I can't wait to just continue it until I graduate in spring and I have to let the position go. Um, but just, a just a huge thank you. And just one of my favorite quotes, um, that, um, about the undocumented community that I just keep reiterating is no dreamer is too small and no dream is too big. Um, So Uh, I wanted to put that out there, Um, like just regardless of citizenship status, um, just know that Cal State LA or um, any other Dreamer Center or organization, like they are here for you. Um, we are here to, you know, redirect your path, um, no matter what your professional goals. I promise there are options for you. And for those who um, want to be like an ally with any um, community that you don't identify with, um, just having that spark of interest, that's already the first step. The fact that you're going to open yourself to a community, um, Um, and to really like welcome yourself you're already taking the first step with that kind of passion it's a never-ending process I'm definitely not an expert ally but um, yeah just I really do reiterate like the balance of community engagement and like research and scholarship with these communities so yeah just keep up the great work (laughs) Thank you, Emmeline. And
1: just last, last thing, if I know I asked you this last time, um, but for folks who didn't get to listen to the episode where that you were on last time, how can others reach you if they resonated with what you said and they'd like to connect in some way, what's the best way to reach you?
2: Yeah, the best way to reach me is through my Instagram. Um, my username is mbs, um, e m b e e e z e. But I also encourage you to follow Cal State LA Streamer Center, which is Cal State LA Dreamers on Instagram. We're really responsive. Um, usually, half the time it's me replying to those DMs anyway. And our- <laughs> I'll tag you so both. You- <laughs> yeah, connect me. T- connect with me twice, and I'll just like reply twice. Um, our Programming is virtual. So that means that no matter where you are, you are welcome to join our events. We recently celebrated the 20th anniversary of AB 540 on Monday. Um, and we had people from San Francisco, San Diego, Orange County logging in. Um, so we really want to just keep fostering that community. Um, yeah, you don't have to be from like Cal State LA or LA in general to be involved with us. Um, so, yeah connect with either of us there even though they're kind of both just me (laughs) but yeah
1: (laughs) all right well thank you so much for coming on again and maybe we'll see you another time too (laughs) (laughs) thank you
0: thanks so much for joining me in the grad school femme touring podcast if you liked what you heard please rate this podcast on itunes spotify or anywhere you tune in. You can also support the podcast by donating to my Patreon page, Anchor page, or Venmo account, which is at gradschoolfemtouring. If you have questions or episode topics, you can contact me by sending me a DM on Instagram, sending me an email to gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com, sending me a voice message on Anchor, or sending me a message via my personal website at YvetteMartinezVu.com. Until next time.